Welcome to the 46th edition of the Guna Podcast, recorded on the Monday evening after Arsenal's victory at Stoke, five days before we entertain Burnley. Our sponsors are Gunashirts.com, the premier website for all your unofficial Arsenal t-shirts. I'm your host, Joe Broadfoot, and let's begin proceedings by saying hello to this evening's panel, starting with the man who could spend the whole evening regaling us with tales of his disastrous, never-a-dull-moment love life. It's David Udo. Good evening, everyone in Podworld. And secondly, he was supposed to be sitting this particular podcast out, but due to the late dropouts of Mark Ollington and the Highbury Spy, he's once again filling a vacant hole, albeit in a less sensational fashion than John Terry. It's the editor of The Gooner, Mr Kevin Witcher. I can promise you, listeners, I'm in an optimistic mood, so keep listening. (laughs) (laughs) And a special thanks to our final panellist, who has answered a late call to appear, forsaking a visit to the gym to appear with us. From the Arsenal Supporters Trust, it's a man very much in the know, Mr Tim Payton. Good evening. Right, so first of all, we want to talk about the Stoke game, and all of us have got a lot to say, and... That includes me, but I'm not going to say my bit because I'm not supposed to. But who really wants to um, talk about the Stoke game? In particular, I'm, I'm seeing Kevin, he's well, put his hand I, in the air. I am I'm, uh, quite keen to relay the optimism I feel after watching that particular football fixture. Did you say optimism? Optimism, indeed. Because I think this is a turnaround moment in the season. And, I mean, obviously, you know... The teams above us have lost more games than they might normally by this stage of uh, uh, any campaign. But what the hell, let's take advantage of it. Now, you know, we've got all these faults and and deficiencies that uh, we've been talking about for months, frankly. Um, But what happened at Stoke, I think, that's changed everything is that um, a kind of spirit was born in this group of players that has very rarely been seen and certainly wasn't uh, visible when we were playing uh, Manchester United and Chelsea in (coughs) recent encounters. Um, And I, I, at this stage, I think the way that they were celebrating those second and third goals uh, against Stoke indicates um, a group of players on a mission who are actually going to try and bust a gut to win the remaining fixtures they have. And if they they show the kind of commitment that uh, they did in that Stoke game after the first half hour, I think there's every reason that uh, Arsenal could actually go on and win the goddamn Premier League. Well, so, proof of anyone needed, kids, that the MSG in our Chinese takeaway does have hallucinogenic <laughs> properties. <laughs> Kev's actually topless and covered in paint at the moment. Um, you might as well be talking like that. I've never heard it. <laughs> I believe... <laughs> We're not quite there, all of us yet, but we're getting there. We're three points off, and well, that's I mean, got to be a good position at this stage. What happened um, in the Birmingham fixture? You know, we drew the game, we lost two points. The feeling at the end of the game, 
I could tell, the same as Gareth probably could tell, we'd blown the title then. Mm. We were six points in the lead of the damn thing, but I knew... Go on, Tim. Well, that, isn't that the big difference on two years ago, where I'm sure we'll see many parallels, which is we were six points in the lead. You could almost see the fear setting in. Oh, my God, is this going to derail us? Mm. And then it, it kind of did, because that was the, 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 the fear process. This time round, it's slightly different. It's almost like we've got nothing to lose. We're back in it. But let's throw something extra in. Let's do it for Aaron. Let's win this title. But I think it's very different when we are just on the shoulder and chasing two rather than looking over the shoulder and the different ways it can play with your mind. So it's got a lot of parallels. But the big difference is, is this spurs us on to attack the two in front rather than last time round when you can see the parallels set in for fear that it was all going to go wrong and in effect they, they fulfilled their own prophecy then I think Tim's exactly right I mean uh, we are a team of young players as everyone enjoys telling us ad infinitum um, but I, I can't help but think it's easier for them to be chasing as you know we've been written off left right and centre by all accounts so these kids mm. can can go out and play with almost reckless abandon I suppose I mean as, as Tim just points out if you're top of the table and you're young there's an expectation and you know the pressure can often be too much but I think two years has led to a lot of these players growing up um, Fabregas for example has gone from a player who perhaps had too much of a burden put on him towards the end of the um, um, sorry when he was yeah I would say that season when he was running the midfield with Flamini and the following season when he was captain I mean now it looks like an almost welcome burden for him I mean in, in the piece I wrote for Maxon this morning um I gave him our man of the match purely because, I mean, after the Ramsey injury, he had a you know, a look in his eye and almost yeah, his fire. Focus was there. Yeah, it was, mm. I'm not leaving this ground without mm. three points. And mm. um, uh, I think even if Thomas Sorrison had got a hand to the penalty, the, the, you know, the ball would have taken him into the net with it. Uh, there, was, there was no way he wasn't going to score that. And I think... On that penalty, he put it in the same place he always puts his penalties. Yes. And that was a little bit worrying. Yeah, but if you, if you place but it well enough... But he did it so well. If you place it well enough, it'll always beat the keeper. Yeah, they say if you hit the, co- if you hit the mm. corner or you hit the side netting, then you know, it should go in. Um, and he must have been so nervous, but bearing in mind Sorrison well, no, saved I the mean, penalty. I, I, no. I, I, I that's an interesting it, question. I, I think he had balls of steel at that point, mm. and I don't think there were nerves. Mm. I just think, as uh, David has alluded to, or Tim, I, one of you said there was a look in his eyes, but it was basically a grim determination about that. And it was a real... I mean, it was the moment for me that, he, as as a captain, he did actually come of age because, you know, he did lead the team to victory on on Saturday evening um, in a way that maybe he's tried to before and it hasn't quite come off. But I think the players now believe in him a lot more because, you know, they've seen something like that. It's just huge, huge. I mean... I, 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 an evening absolutely chock full of uh, emotions when basically it would have been quite easy to crumble um, but you know they reacted in the best possible way and and the celebration at the end remind me actually of, of, of one of Chelsea's games at Bolton I think when, when I think they won their first title under Mourinho it was away in something like late March early April and it was a real make or break game and they they battled their way to a 1-0 win and, and they were absolutely... You could see then that they were going to win the thing. And, and it was a similar kind of uh, feeling I got seeing those Arsenal boys celebrate those goals. Um, so Yeah, the team spirit. You couldn't knock it. But some of us would still knock 
certain departments in the squad, the goalkeeping department in particular, with the first goal conceded, it seemed the same old story. Going into Saturday's game, Arsenal conceded to the first shot on target 58% of the time this season, which is a worrying and staggering statistic. Um, I don't know if, if Manuel was going for some kind of record. Um, <laughs> that and like the it. most own goals by a goalkeeper. <laughs> One more and he gets his hat-trick, gets to keep the match ball. Um, look, my issues as a, as a goalkeeper looking at our goalkeepers have been well documented on previous podcasts. He's not good enough, but you know we've seen Lukasz Fabianski in the uh, antics in the European Cup against Porto. So at this moment in time, Manuel's the best of a bad bunch and we can piss and moan all we want, but we're stuck with him, at least until the end of the season. Um, um, how would you... How did you see his performance against Stoke? That was a particularly <laughs> auspicious flap in the second <laughs> half. And yeah. I think it was a foul given. Um, because somebody actually told me that he played relatively well. Well, well I want to keep Kevin on his optimistic team. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you watched um, Chelsea's goalkeeper performing earlier That's in the true. Day, that was Hilarious certainly give you opt- optimism for, very, the, for later in the season. It was a better performance than that. Yeah. So. Yeah, in the greater scheme of things, if you include Hilario as a goalkeeper, then yeah, Almunia is well, I'm, I'm hoping better. the defenders are just going to ball him out now and, and make him pick his game up through sheer, through their determination spreading to him knowing that he can't afford to let them down, really. I mean, I think this is about everyone standing up and being counted, including the goalkeeper, and him having to actually put himself on the line a bit more than he has done. Well, by all accounts, he's a relatively intelligent man and, and mm. quite quite well-read. I mean, he comes across as quite articulate when I've seen him interviewed. I don't think he's stupid. I think he's aware of the situation. I think he knows he's playing for his Arsenal future. Whether he has the quality to live up to that standard is is a question we've, we've deba- debated previously. <coughs> I personally don't think he has, but I, I think he'll, he'll give everything he's got and go you know, credit where credit's due in the Sunderland game. Um, it's probably the best game he's had this season. He's made two very important saves and looked as, as confident as a man without any confidence can look when you know coming for crosses and such. But his focus hasn't really been there, in my opinion, this season compared to, say, last season when he had that. Well, it was a decent campaign for him by his standards and I know some of us question his standards but the point is I would I, I asked myself why did he sort of he disappeared for a period didn't he this season had some mysterious injury that some of us thought he sustained him yeah, yeah he was I mean the manager can claim he, he had illness or whatever nobody has a runny bum for a month I don't believe that for a, for mm. a second um, Jens Lehmann was, was dropped uh, after two costly mistakes in what turned out to be his last season at the club and I mean Mooney was thrown in the only reason his um, uh, his time out of the side was limited to just a month was down to the paucity of options available to the manager apart from him. So apart from Almunia, the big talking point, well, Almunia wasn't the big talking point for once. Ryan, Ryan Shawcross obviously was. Um, would anyone like to comment on that? horrendous tackle I'm going to rant so I'll let Tim or Kev take this I feel very <laughs> ranty go, myself go first, go first then we can come in on, um, on your rant well <laughs> I, I don't buy this he's he's not like that he's a nice kid he's not that kind of player firstly who is that kind of player because whenever this happens you know the first thing any manager says he's not that kind of player even serial offender mm. Chris Morgan at Sheffield United who two years on still hasn't apologised for nearly killing Ian Hume of Barnsley um, and he punched Robin Van yeah, Persie. Yeah, flooring well. Robin Van Persie mm. with a you know a classic one-inch punch to. Um, um, <coughs> Sometimes to you wonder what sport. What well, sport yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I haven't got an, an issue necessarily with <laughs> with with Shark, Shawcross wanting to to make the tackle. I think he went for the ball. I think his ineptitude let him down. If you look at the reverse angle that only the BBC have shown on Match of the Day, 
Um, it is a high tackle. It's a late tackle. It is. It's ankle high. Um, he has to be sent off. My issue is that the the FA hide behind um, uh, their mandatory three match ban. They have no discretion. I mean, I remember during the Eduardo weekend of of February two thousand eight. Um, Martin Taylor was rightly sent off for taking half a man's leg off and received a three-match ban. That same day, Jeremy Elliadier was playing for Middlesbrough against Liverpool, got into a tete-a-tete with Javier Mascherano, flicked his middle finger out and literally just flicked his middle finger, caught Mascherano on the edge of the nose, also got a three-match ban. Middlesbrough appealed it on the grounds it was ridiculous sending off. Um, his sending off was upheld and he was given an extra match ban for the frivolity of his appeal. So you can break someone's leg and you only get three matches. But, you know, you dare to question the FA's authority on something that they're wrong on and you'll receive a greater punishment. For, for me, the FA have shown in the past that they have discretion, as they showed with Paul Davis in 1989 when he um, broke Glenn Cockrell's jaw and was given a, the biggest fine he could under PFA regulations and was banned for nine games. Personally, I think Ryan Shawcross should be banned for ten games. No, minimum, I'd say. I think it should be banned for the length, length of time it takes... Um Takes Aaron Ramsey to come back. Well, I mean, maybe that would be a more just punishment in my book. I mean, the interesting thing about this Shawcross challenge is that in isolation you could say uh, freak accident. However, as has been uh, publicised over the last couple of days, he does have history for clattering players. Adebayor, for instance. Adebayor. He broke Francis Jeffers' leg though, for stoking against Sheffield Wednesday yeah, a couple of years exactly. ago. Exactly. Mm. So he has previous and. You've got to wonder if his all-round approach is bordering on the negligence. Or even reckless. He's certainly well, reckless with some of those challenges. I, I mean, I, mean I, I think that... Uh, I think Stoke players on Saturday and in the previous games of Arsenal have been under instruction to make life as physically uncomfortable for Arsenal as they can. They're never instructed to break limbs, but they are instructed to play the opposition in such a way that they won't fancy dwelling on the ball for any period of time. And of course the physical approach has worked in the past against Arsenal. So hence teams are going to continue using it until the football authorities make a decision that this kind of tactic is, is actually destroying football. Um, and obviously what happens in England wouldn't happen in Spain and wouldn't happen in Italy and there are some apologists who say well that's what makes the English game special um, I personally would rather see the the idea of, of uh, any tackle which involves studs being shown uh, outlawed um, any kind of challenge because inevitably some people are going to suffer the fate Aaron Ramsey did because but, it is reckless but um, this particular tackle he didn't show studs that I could see well, I think but he did, it was actually. reckless I, I think, think he did he does yeah. he, again the, yeah. only, the only angle that shows I've the, seen a few angles and the only one you know, shows it conclusively it, was the one I mentioned it wasn't there. as bad as Martin Taylor's on Eduardo to give him well, they're two sides of the same coin but then again he went and was with such such a level of force, it was well. It was, it was undoubtedly the speed of the the moment. It was an influence, but it was the way he attempted to regain possession, which is basically lunging in with uh, a protruding boot. Which, I mean, it was unfortunate for Ramsey that his his foot was stuck in the turf 
um, and it was almost inevitable that that was going to happen you know once you saw the two his leg and the other guy's boot colliding I mean there's no way the leg can't be broken under those circumstances really um, I, I just think the bottom line is it will continue it will happen again it might not happen again to Arsenal but it will certainly happen again to other players and we've got to ask the question do we want to keep the game as it is with all the dangers or do we want to protect football players a bit more I, I, agree, I agree with everything Kevin set out there I think sadly we'll only see reaction taken about this style of football and it is an approach and style to football that creates this problem or this issue when one of two things happen either it's a young talented English player who gets taken out because that undoubtedly drives the media in a different way and so far we've seen a Croatian Frenchman and a Welshman so we're getting closer to home there or <laughs> the other one which drives change sometimes is actually if, uh, if uh, um, PFA step in and if players themselves decide that as a collective they need to start worrying more about the rights of the player who will arguably never have a career in the same way again as opposed to the rights of the clogger to get out there, kick a few people and be you know, one of those lads who doesn't mean it. So probably we're getting closer to that moment coming, but that, I think those are the two things that will drive change. I, think that, I, I agree with, with Tim Hart. I mean, there, there are two exact points I was going to raise, which... Was go- uh, one of the, the examples I was going to give would, would be if uh, would the press's reaction have been the same if the tackle had been Abdullah Fai on Theo Walcott, um, Wayne Rooney even? Yeah, well, oh yeah. I mean, if if, if anything mm. anything happens to Wayne Rooney between now and the World Cup, um, there will be public outcry. Well, yeah, absolutely. In all and, the, all and this is Rio Ferdinand in the Manchester United training. <laughs> yeah. You know, whoever does it, it you know, I'm sure the Sun will print their address and you know mm. their house will be burnt down whilst at training and such. Um, but um, yeah, Gordon Taylor, who is is great for a quote, loves coming out and talking. Yeah, especially when it's none of his business. It's very much his business, and he's been conspicuously quiet in the last forty-eight hours. He, well, he must feel quite embarrassed, I would have thought. But having to defend what I consider to be indefensible, but maybe others don't. But um, me, when I was watching the replays of it, I just couldn't really see <coughs> see why why he didn't get a rougher press than what, what he's had Ryan Shawcross to me is uh, apart from all the Arsenal websites have been condemning that tackle well in a way the, the media don't want to admit I mean if they did say that that was wrong they are almost setting an agenda for the future of football and, and in a way they the media love this sort of stuff I mean it's 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 an event, you know, it's a talking point. It's like, you know, they don't, they don't actually want to write about football. You know, they want to write about players fighting. They want to write about players not shaking hands because they shagged their girlfriend. You know, It's all drama. It it's... is, and anything that adds to that is great for them. So, so there is an interest in, in the media that, you know, if bad things are happening, it's, it's all fuel to the fire. So... In a sense, they don't want a game which is purely about skill and technical uh, brilliance because it's not so interesting to write about. It's very interesting how Sky Sports, their take on it was strange because they wouldn't even show the replays of it and yet the BBC on Match of the Day did. And I found that bizarre. I, I, think, I think, in fairness to Sky, it, it was an on-at-the-moment decision for them whereas the BBC could weigh it up over a few hours. Um, and in fairness, the guy had just had his leg broken and uh, presumably his family were watching. 
there are all kinds of considerations when a game is being screened live. Um, match of a day, they've got time to sort of think about the impact, and also people know it's coming. So if they if mm. if they're kind of nervous about this kind of thing, then then they know they're not going to watch the show. Um, so I mean, I'm not going to have a go at Sky for not showing it. Uh, what I will have a go at Sky at is that. Uh, Basically, they forgave the player a bit too quickly, Ryan Shawcross, and and they they were siding with him a bit too early for me. I'd like to a, a bit more kind of uh, have a step back before making judgments about him being a nice lad and all that kind yeah, of the thing. The agenda was sadly set by Richard Keyes and Andy Gray mm-hmm. in the post-match summary, and Andy Gray's immortal quote of "Sometimes you have to play Arsenal like that," and unfortunately, that's that's going to be Sky's stance on it, and. Um, you know, they're not going to go against one of their biggest talents. So, I mean, if you're looking for Sky Sports news for any any respite or or show that there is you know, any any contrition or, or any com- you know, any compassion on the side of Arsenal over Stoke City, I suppose, or you know, grace and finesse over um, I don't know um, British Bulldog, then you know you're, you're looking in the wrong place, unfortunately. Um, although Kevin and I were discussing before the podcast started, the, the only uh, I suppose voice of reason coming out of Sky in the last sort of 48 hours was during the um, uh, the Sunday supplement program on Sky Sports yesterday morning. And Patrick Barkley, who is one of the better one of the better journalists, and by all accounts a hardcore gooner, um, not to the extent Amy Lawrence is, but I think <laughs> favours Arsenal over other clubs. Um, and one of the Custis brothers from the Sun seemed to you know be relatively rational about the whole thing. And so why is you know raise the question as to why is it only English football where we see this kind of thing. I mean, the South Americans and uh, Iberian players are cited for being, you know, dirty and, and cynical, even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the difference. They're cynical. Yeah. They're sly. They'll punch you off the ball. You know, they'll mm. they'll rake their studs down the back of your legs. But, but they, they won't, won't put you in hospital. Exactly. Exactly. So will he make um, a comeback? Because we've seen um, we've seen other players get injured, like Eduardo. Has he come back the same player? I'd say personally, he's not quite at the same level he was at. And then we've had Diaby. I'm not too sure what level he was at before his injury, but since his injury, he's had his good games and he's had quite a few iffy games, let's say. Do you think that Aaron Ramsey, who was supposed to be the next well, the next best thing to come out of Wales since Ryan Giggs, do you think he's going to... I know it's a different position, but he's he's certainly up there in terms of well, talent. Well, let's hope, was. let's hope so, and we certainly wish him well, but... The unfortunate truth is with an injury like that, there's a very high chance that you won't have the career you would have done anyway. You've got the psychological impact to overcome. You've got the fact that as a physical injury, probably a generation ago, that would have finished your career without any question. It's the, oh, it's the injury that finished on Howe's career. Uh, it, wow. It's an absolutely you know, horrific injury. It will almost certainly be um, you know, a constant issue of pain for him even if he's able to play through it. And as we've seen with the two players you've mentioned, neither has been able to... Uh, recapture what cre- form Well, it's not so much about recapture form, but recapture a level of consistency with fitness, which is where form comes mm. from, but from being able to play constantly. Yeah. And the margins from being a world-class player and a good footballer are very, very small. It's that very small bit of difference. If you have that very small bit of difference taken away you're no longer at the standard that you can play for Arsenal. Now, he is younger, and we're told it's a slightly cleaner break than mm. in the past, in that I say just, but it's literally just 
putting the brake back as opposed to so much out where tendons and other bits are connected. Mm. I think the issue with Eduardo was he dislocated his ankle. ankle And and was the same with Diaby had that problem. So let's hope that that simplifies it slightly. But undoubtedly, I think, you know, the best young midfield talent in this country, what a tragedy that that may not be fulfilled. And, um, well, Eduardo, coming back to Eduardo, he came on the pitch as a substitute during the game. Um, What were your feelings on that? Interesting decision. Um, I mean, I suppose in terms of needing to go for the win, he's a striker on the bench, come on and do your job. Uh, But has he been doing his job of late? Well, Well, he's not really had many chances. You'd say not, judging by the fact the manager picked our reserve right back as one of our three attacking players (coughs) on Saturday over him and Theo Walcott. Mm. That speaks volumes in a way. Sadly, yes. Sadly, yes. Manager doesn't seem to trust his own players, but that's... uh, no, I mean, I, th- I think Eduardo, I mean, he needs to refine his form. The only way he's going to do that is through a run of games. But if he's not scoring, he's not going to get picked. So, And he's not fit, is he, Kevin? He's not, he's not getting that run of games, no, exactly. which you need fitness, first of all, to get the run of games. And then hopefully the form comes. So it's trapped in a vicious circle. So and then he's had that injury as well that kept him out well, for yeah, a while. Yeah, let's go back to Tim's previous point. When you mm. come back from an injury like this, <coughs> uh, like, like he had, you know... Mm. Suddenly, what would be a niggle you get over in 24 hours turns into a week and, and two weeks and such, and, and it's hard to get any momentum going. I mean, we've seen with Bentner, I mean, since he's come back into the side, and he, he is getting uh, a run of games. I think it was his first, maybe in his first or second 90 minutes that he completed on Saturday. He is starting to show form mm. and, and scored a goal of genuine quality on Saturday afternoon. But of course, his injury wasn't so serious as what is that four months? Well, still not the same level as Eduardo. Well, no, it's not. Abu I, think, I think the best thing with the player in, in you know, ignoring Arsenal's sort of position is if he was to move to um, a smaller club, maybe somewhere in Germany or something like that, where he'd be guaranteed to be starting, you know, four games out of five and 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 get his career back on path through playing matches, and maybe then he could recapture the kind of form he was showing just before he was injured. In fairness with Eduardo, I think it's as much as the new system and formation we're playing, as much as anything else. The guy is your archetypal number nine. Mm-hmm. He's a goal mm-hmm. hanger. You stick the ball in front of him on the penalty spot. More often, yeah, with no one around him, more often than not, he'll score. He didn't on Saturday, but you know, there's a myriad of reasons uh, which contribute towards that. But, I mean, the best I've seen him play was in his brief comeback last season, when he was playing up front with Nicholas Bentner in your classic big man, little man combination, and they, they seemed to hit it off straight away. Similarly, um, before his injury, when playing up front with um, Manchester City's current centre forward, um, I think playing as the lone front man in a 4 3 3 won't work, as you need more physicality and uh, need to be a different type of player. Bentner, Bentner I think, does it with a plomb, um, and Van Persie was just warming to the role when unfortunately he got his injury. Um, which leaves one of the two wide roles and Eduardo quite frankly doesn't have that skill set to fulfil either of those positions so he's square it, pegs and round holes yeah really. again yeah absolutely but um, obviously Eduardo's there to score goals and um, he didn't manage a goal but at least Fabregas put that penalty away and the celebrations were did anybody think they were over the top? Me personally, oh. not really. No, considering so. everything that happened, considering but the emotions. other people from you know fans of other clubs might might have uh, had a different take on that. I think he, he started tapping his his right foot and was shouting Aaron or something at the crowd. Mm. So I mean, I think that's obviously what he was what he was alluding to. Look, if if you 
you're playing against a team that's become your bogey side after the last eighteen months. Over the last eighteen months, at their ground, um, and you've mm. snatched a last-minute winner after one of your players has had their leg broken into three pieces. I think you're entitled to strip, bo- strip bollock naked and dump in the opposition manager's technical area. Talking of which, <laughs> well played to our captain for telling Mr. Tony Pullis to close his mouth when he had the nerve to complain about. Sesk hacking down one of their players <laughs> because the hypocrisy of Pullis to complain about that galled and, and well done to Sesk for telling him shut your mouth yeah, well done Sesk it was a great moment of spirit and uh, another great piece of captaincy if you look at the, the, the parallels but and the differences with what happened two years ago it is quite extraordinary there you know we were all left distraught by a last minute penalty against us questionable penalty mm. that triggered the gallus sit down triggered the meltdown this time last minute penalty perhaps not quite so questionable but I think in other circumstances would have been argued against for a long time but probably wasn't by the Stoke players given mm. the other things that had gone on so a little bit of luck with a last minute penalty it was a ball to hand rather than hand to ball mm. but then look at the determination and the celebration but that triggered such at a fine moment in football between success and failure that we're now undoubtedly looking at that sort of 60-second sequence as being something that's going to go down in Arsenal history. Let's hope go down in Arsenal history for what it's going to lead to in the next few games. We're often very critical on this podcast of the, the lack of affinity between the players and fans, so for us to complain about their um, celebrations being over the top would be rather, rather fickle of us. Um, Look, I want to see our players throwing themselves and celebrating with us. Uh, I mean, one thing I'll always always remember was Patrick Vieira scoring a goal at Highbury against Everton mm. and running into the North Bank and grabbing some guy's head and, and pulling it against his head, that kind of thing. You know, these players are you know, kept so far away from, from the fans. It's, it's nice to know once in a while that they care as much as we do. Um, and as, as Tim pointed out, I mean, I mean, you can go one of two ways after an incident like we saw on Saturday, or as we saw at St Andrews two years ago, happens. I mean, for me, that game against St Andrews, uh, sorry, against Birmingham, was kind of the day the music died, as obviously Eduardo's injury. Um, that was pretty much the last. Um, uh, sorry, that was the day when Gail Clichy's Arsenal career took a huge nosedive, and Saturday's game is the first decent decent performance I've seen him put in, in in quite a while, probably since we've changed kits. Um, uh, that was the day I think Emmanuel Adebayor really started to lose interest and uh, mm. obviously we had the William Gallas debacle so rather than you know, us going down the road where everything falls apart maybe this, yeah. this will galvanise us in a uh, Wainbridge cuckold style It's a huge contrast and of course we've got a decent run in this time around as well. Yeah. I mean the, the one thing that's ironic is that uh, this injury might actually turn out to be the best thing that, that could have happened in, in a very perverse way and obviously it's not good in terms of you mean in terms of focus and in yeah. terms of what I would call the backs to the wall thing it's them against us now the siege mentality and often that is the way Arsenal have won titles in the past so it's 1991 when we had the points to there's been a lot of different events over the years and also this this team may be more comfortable in this third position and well yeah also we, we, we've won a fair number of the titles chasing from behind mm. uh, obviously the Invincible season was an exception to that. I think most of the others, though, we have been 
uh, coming from behind, maybe not 89, uh, although in the end we did have to come from behind, but we'd lead in most of the Well, 98 way. we certainly did. We were 14 points behind well, at one stage. Way. In 2002, mm. I think mm. we were behind there. Um, As in 2003 when we were running away with it, yeah. and then again in 2006, uh, 2007 mm. when, you know, when what happened, happened that we so, you know, it's it's interesting the way that fates, uh, you know, these little twists and turns, but that's the reason for my optimism, because I do, you know, I have been watching football for enough years to sort of see moments happen, and and, and you've seen the consequences of such things before, um, where a spirit is born. It can be little things like Van Bronckhorst being sent off at Liverpool, uh, after we'd been refereed out of a home win against Newcastle, and it's just like the whole world was going against us, and then the boys rallied and, and got a result with ten men. You know that on that kind goal of against thing. Liverpool when um, we were two one down yeah. after having gone out of two cup competitions. You know, you've, 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 we've seen enough of these kind of moments, or certainly I have, to to think. Well, actually, you know, we'll look back on this, and, and I mean, I think now we will approach games in a different way. We won't be concentrating just on the football. We will also be concentrating on attitude, aggression, desire. Um, you know, we will be up for these matches, I think. You know, in a way we weren't in 2008. I was really hoping when we played Villa the week after Burnham that the players would come out really busting their gut thinking, right, you know, you, you know, this has happened to us. You know, this is what you get. didn't happen, you know. And I think... Um, it should happen I mean I think it's going to happen this this time around well there is that sense we have to win it for Aaron Ramsey well, well yeah, that's yeah. a sentimental thing it's I mean sentimental. I like the idea of that but really did we, we, we didn't win it for Eduardo do you know what I mean that's true I but mean it's, it's a nice thing to say but, but basically it's more to do with we've been fucked over by other teams you know and they're not, we're not going to let them get away with this. You know, we're going to show them what actually we are. We've actually got a winnable running. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. But well, that that season. Well, no, and Burnley, every game is is going to be tough. Yeah, every game is tough, no matter who it's against. We we know that, particularly this season. But looking at the running, the two tough games that that really. Well, Stoke was a huge one before. Yeah, Stoke off, was Stoke huge. was absolutely huge. But regardless of even before Chelsea had lost. Everyone was thinking about Stoke. Well, this but is the chance where we prove... Our as huge Stoke is, I would say going to Spurs at White Hart Lane. Ironically, someone said to me that might actually be moved. Because I think, and I might be wrong, if Spurs are in the semi-final of the FA Cup, oh, that, if, if that game that is that weekend. Mm. Now, I don't mm. know that, all right? Yeah. Don't, don't quote me on that. But I'm led to believe it is. Now, how ironic it would be if that game was put back into... <laughs> into the, the middle of May, yeah. a midweek <laughs> evening visit to the lane. Arsenal yeah. needing three points to win the title. Well, you never know. You couldn't make that stuff up, <laughs> could you? Really? <laughs> no, or, I or, or, or my fantasy today was well, my, the girl I'm seeing is in Australia at the moment, so that's another story. That, um, my football fantasy today was um, <laughs> um, look, we we beat Fulham five 0 on the last day of the season. The players disappear down the tunnel and then reappear, each wearing a shirt with Ramsey number sixteen on the bank on the back before Fabregas with, uh, lifts the um, lifts the Premier League trophy and Aaron Ramsey appears on crutches down the tunnel to collect his medal in front of sixty thousand. Wow. I love actually, this vision. Actually, sixty thousand. This vision is better than Benjamin, <laughs> by the way. But keep going. <laughs> I love oh, it. Here's, here's I Manchester City. Well, that's another game coming up at home. 
So I mean, was... we're playing teams in the relegation zone as well. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're never easy. They're nerves. never easy. You know, That's there, true. there are. I mean, I don't buy this thing about necessarily an easy run. The only thing you can say is that Arsenal have generally been beating the teams they should, and if they continue doing that, they've got every chance. You know, we haven't dropped dropped as many points against the the lesser teams if as you like. as yeah. have you know. Yeah. I mean, I think United and Chelsea must have. Because the only way it explains how they've... they've United lost to Burnley. Um, Chelsea lost to Wigan, did they? Uh, yes, yeah, away at Wigan, yeah. 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 You know. Well, Tony Adams made a point at the start of the season and, you know, since he um, has, you know, retired from football, I don't think... Well, I, I don't have a lot of time for what he says as he always sounds like someone who's just been burgled. Um, <laughs> it, it's a very, very surreal speaking voice he has now, but he made the point at the start of the season that... Um, if you beat, if if you want to win the league, if you beat each of the teams in eleven to twentieth, um, home and away, that's sixty points. So your other thirty, twenty-five, thirty points can mm. you know come from elsewhere. And to that extent, it doesn't necessarily matter what you do against Man United, Chelsea, and Liverpool. Well, it sounds um, like he's thought about it at least. For me. Well, yeah, that's Manchester, a good sign. Manchester United did it like that last year. Yes, exactly that. Exactly that. Um, I don't think they won a game against the top six. I mean, they drew, uh, lost to us and drew at home, didn't they? And talking about thinking about things, uh, Mark Ollington has thrown us um, nice. thrown us a quote or two. He said, "Mark is normally with us, but unfortunately he can't be with us um, on this particular um, evening." And he says, "If we do win the league this season, that's not a very good Mark voice. But if we do win the league this season, would there ever be a title-winning team so despised and reviled by a section of its fan base?" <laughs> and he says, and I feel this is directed at me, by the way. He says, how hard can the negative ninnies really celebrate if we do win the title? And I have to admit, I've been reasonably negative throughout, thinking that I this think, team's not capable. I think what capable. Mark forgets is that even those fans who criticise a team desperately want it to succeed. That's true. All, all they're doing is seeing their faults um, and... and you know, basically not ignoring them in the way Mark chooses to. I mean, but you know, it's like the the optimist and the pessimist. I mean, it's just different human natures. But we'll all celebrate as hard as each other if Arsenal do manage to pull it off. And uh, I, I've often said, uh, you know, I'm hoping to be wearing egg on my face come the end of May. Uh, I would love nothing more. Um, but the thing to remember is, everyone who, who knocks the club also supports it. You know, we knock it because we care. You know, and you can't just say, oh, you're negative, you know, this kind of thing. The reason we're saying this ain't right, that ain't right, is because we care so much. If we didn't even bother to state what we thought, we might as well not go. You know, it's, it's like... You it's know. so difficult to look at Almunia and go, we've got one of the best goalkeepers well, that, in the that, Premier that would League. Be, that would be my, in, own, my only worry, you know, with my pessimist at home, would be if we did win the league this season, it would make the manager think... You know what? Maybe we don't need a new goalkeeper. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> Danielson is going to be world class. That yeah. that would be my my only fear. But I mean, I I, I said to Tim before we started recording that um, um, rather than us necessarily being the best team in the country, um, winning we, we, by we, default. Yeah, yeah, we'd we'd almost be the best of a bad bunch, or it'd be like the fight at the end of Rocky Two when you've got you know two pissed fat old men. Uh, on the centre of the ring, and it's the first one who can stand up, who's going to win the world heavyweight championship. But you know, I would take that. Like I say, she's in Australia at the moment. She's there for another three weeks. I'm really fucking miserable. <laughs> <laughs>
So yeah, lastly, Tim, would you like to have this? Well, well, I'm looking forward to. I think you can you can sense it just by chatting to you know Gunas today. But what we've been talking about, the events at the weekend, do seem to have galvanised something. And I'm looking forward to the next two or three games at the Emirates, where I think you know the supporters have got a bit of a responsibility to perhaps act more like the away supporters do all the time. Really get behind the team and create something together and push for that line. Uh, there is a bit too much negativity for me. You know, some people I've got a right to grumble rather than you know a privilege to support. And it's I'll a pay line my between money. the two. <laughs> I paid my money. I'll say what I like. Let's just now. I think it's going to happen. You can sense it's going to happen. There's a few huge games. Everyone should get absolutely behind them. All the players and save the post mortem. And are they good enough or not for May the tenth? It'd be great if, if on Saturday, you know, it being so soon after. Um, after Aaron's injury, us playing Burnley at home, who you know have an appalling away record. If if the players could really turn it on, put on a proper <laughs> five or six nil effort, and say that United Chelsea, we're fucking coming for you. Because yeah. you know, I mean, that'd be what, then we beat Porto seven nil next week. <laughs> so you get back from Aus- gets back from Australia. I have a brilliant time, and you know the world's a wonderful place. One nil till the end of the season are doing me. But uh, Kevin, what are your thoughts on um, the rest of the season? What what we've got left? Well, I mean, I just think we need to use the old cliche of taking each game as it comes, but basically win them. You know, you win one, you you only win two, you're on a little roll there. Um, that's why Stoke was so important. I mean, A, because we couldn't afford to drop the points, but B, because we have pretty much now more or less got to win every game. Now, it's not, it's not I mean, it was 10 matches, I can't even remember, but... You can win 10 games on the trot. That's what title-winning teams do. And we've done it before. We've done it before. That is how you win the title. You, you, you put a run together, and you might win a few of them 1-0. You know? I mean, the way we're playing, we'll probably win a few of them 4-3. 4-3 uh, <laughs> is just as good. You know, I mean, Except it, against Porto, of course. Well, what? yes, fair, fair comment. But um, I'm, to be honest... That's the last of our worries. The Champions League is, is just cloud cuckoo land. You know, I can't see us winning that, to be fair. Because ultimately, you're playing top-level teams there who are going to exploit defensive weaknesses. <laughs> the fortunate thing about the league running is you've got teams, for the most part, who aren't that great at scoring goals. Otherwise, they'd be in better positions. And the exception to that might be Man City, it might be Spurs. But um, really, we're going to face a lot of teams which we can, we can win with A, our football, and B, the right attitude. And that's why I'm confident that uh, we could see something special now. So on that positive note, I'd like to say the traditional reminder is that if you want to email us about anything related to the podcast, the address is gunapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks once again to our sponsors, gunashirts.com. And before we finish, a few words about the current issue of the Guna from Kevin. Right, well, issue 204. Three uh, comes out on Saturday against Burnley and uh, it's a real mixed bag because a fair bit of it was actually written in the aftermath of the pair of defeats to Chelsea and Man United. Um, however, the cover is a real feel-good number with Thomas Vermarlin and um, it's on sale for £2 from your sellers outside the stadium. And now it's time for the panel to bid farewell. David? Thank you very much and good evening. Tim, good night. And Kevin. I promise you, listeners, I will be more miserable next time. <laughs> I'm your host, Joe Brawford. Thanks for listening. La-dee-da-dee-da. La-dee-da-dee-dee. 
All good friends and jolly good company. Well, hey!